Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. He is there with you in that valley, in that despair. And by the way, isn't it true that when you're in those valleys, those are the times that you draw the closest to God? Hey, when things are going well, right? We just kind of glide and abide. But boy, when adversity strikes, that changes the complexion of everything and it changes our posture before the Lord. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Galatians. When you've found yourself in valleys, where do you turn? Hopefully, when we're at our lowest, this pushes us to turn to God for the help only He can give. Today, Pastor J.D. urges us to cry out to God and wait on Him because He'll lift us out of the valley. Make spending time with God a regular habit so it comes naturally in all circumstances. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Galatians chapter 6 with his continuing study called Don't Give Up. Weariness and discouragement comes from being physically and emotionally exhausted. It's been my personal experience that the enemy actually waits for that optimum time to attack you when you're weary and tired and exhausted and fatigued and spiritually and physically. And by the way, there is a connection. The connection is is that when you're physically exhausted and fatigued, it affects you spiritually as well. And this is why it is so important to draw near to the Lord and find rest in the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, or as some of your translations render it, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One of the things that you notice in the Gospels is that Jesus was never stressed or rushed or pressed. He was certainly distressed in the garden before he was about to go to the cross. But you never see Jesus in the Gospels in a hurry, rushing and hurrying, busy, going about to and fro. There's this one account of when Jesus goes to the home of Mary and Martha, who are sisters, and we're told that Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on every word. And her sister Martha is in the kitchen, (laughs) hurrying and stressing over the casserole that she's making for Jesus to eat. To her, that is the most important thing at that moment. And she, by the way, is fuming inside at her sister. She is so mad that she confronts, even rebukes the Savior. 
and says to Jesus, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and get in here and help me. Look at her. She just sits there and does nothing. And here I am slaving away in the kitchen. (laughs) And whoa, I'm thinking if I'm Mary, I'm like, really? (laughs) Are you kidding me? And what is Jesus' response? I never imagined Jesus being short or curt with anyone. You know when he, as he did often in the Gospels, says, Oh, ye of little faith. I never imagined him saying that with this harsh tone like, Oh, you of little faith. No, I, I see the Savior responding just so loving, so gentle, so humble in heart, just with with a sorrow of heart, really. Why is your faith so little? What? Why did you doubt? Martha, why are you so stressed? Listen, what you're doing is a good thing, but it's not the most important thing. What Mary has chosen is the good thing. You know how it is in our day and age. We, we applaud those who are the go-getters. Truth be known, we have much in the way of accolades and applause for the Marthas of this world. And conversely, we look down upon the Marys of this world who choose the better thing. It's as if to say, Martha, I'm here. I'm here. And Mary is here with me. And I'm ministering to her. She has come to me. She is sitting at my feet. Now, you know who you are, but let's be honest. Who of us is going to identify more with Martha than we are Mary? I'm Martha. I'm Martha. I'm busy serving the Lord, and I have prioritized and made more important that than sitting at the feet of the Lord, where there is rest for my soul. You know, one of the most fascinating men in all of the Bible to me is Elijah. This is a really amazing guy, and he did amazing things. He calls fire down from heaven, and it consumes the sacrifice in this contest with the prophets of Baal, and then he kills the prophets of Baal, and then after that, surprisingly, he becomes so weary and so discouraged that he actually prays that God will kill him. Have you ever prayed that God God will just put you out of your misery? You don't have to raise your hands. By the way, uh, spoiler alert, God doesn't answer his prayer. Listen to his prayer. Listen to what 1 Kings 19.4 says. It says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, 
take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Jesus had it. He's at the end of himself. He is completely given up. And this on the heels of this miraculous move of God's mighty hand. This is Elijah we're talking about. And here's Jezebel, who he expected God would kill, but God doesn't. And instead now she wants to kill him. He could stand up to the prophets of Baal, all over 450 of them, but he could not stand up to one woman, this Queen Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab. We're told in Scripture, the most evil king in the history of all of Israel. And so now she wants to kill him, says about him, may that which he did to the prophets so help me God, I don't know what God she's you know, praying to, if I don't do the same thing to you in one day, what you did to the prophets today. And Elijah runs and hides and prays and wants God to kill him. And God doesn't kill him. What does God do? Oh, very interesting. He feeds him and he lets him sleep. Now that's what I'm talking about right there. Food and sleep. (laughs) And not necessarily in that order. But here's the thing. Elijah is so physically fatigued and emotionally exhausted, and doubtless he's also very sleep deprived, and as such, he's depressed. One of the things the Lord has ministered to me over the years is the importance of sleep. And this, again, too, is some. In fact, I just saw a news broadcast, a segment on the importance of sleep and how that, in our day and age, we really look down on those and see those who sleep as being lazy. And we applaud those who say, I only need four hours of sleep a night. Wow. And then here's this guy, you know, man, if I don't get eight hours or nine hours of sleep, and what, and what do we look, look at them and, and say of them, ah, oh, they're just lazy. Well, actually, you might be surprised to know that sometimes the most important thing you can do is get sleep. And one of the things I'm learning in my life is that sleep deprivation and physical exhaustion contribute as a major cause of depression. It's the physical that creates this spiritual depression. I've recommended this book in the past. It is one of the best books. It's been a tremendous help to me over the years. It's written by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's titled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. And I'd like to share with you a couple of uh, quotes from the book. But before I do, I want to mention something before I forget. Christians get depressed. The greatest Christians mightily used of God struggle with depression. I think of David in the Psalms. You read some of those Psalms and they start off and clearly David 
is depressed. He is in despair. And he starts off the psalm and it's so depressing. He is in such despair and he cries out to the Lord, Oh Lord, how long? And then by the time he gets to the end of the psalm, he has sort of had a talk with himself, which is different than self-talk. Is having a talk with self. And he says to himself, Oh my soul, why be in such despair? For you will again have reason to praise the Lord. And then by the time you get to the end of the psalm, his circumstances haven't changed. In fact, I would argue they probably are going to get worse. But what's changed is David's heart. He's come to the Lord. He's cried out unto the Lord. And the Lord has hearkened unto the voice of his cry and encouraged his heart, and strengthened his heart. I think of Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, a life verse for me, personally. David basically says this, I would have lost heart. I would have completely given up. I was in such despair, but here's why I didn't. I remained confident in this, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says to himself, this is talking to self. It's almost as if he says, boy, sit down. We're going to talk. And he sits himself down and he says to himself, you wait on the Lord. You be strong and you take courage and you wait on the Lord. You'll see, you'll see. That was the only way I was able to remain confident in my despair and in my depression. I heard a pastor once, this is a few years ago, here on the island, make this comment, and it really stunned me. He said he had never once in his life ever been depressed. Now, I wasn't stunned because he'd never been depressed. I mean, praise the Lord. What stunned me was that he would say that from the pulpit to people in the church, some of whom were probably hanging on by a threat. And what is he saying to them? If you're depressed, you're not a good Christian. If you're depressed, you're a weak Christian. If you're depressed, you have no faith as a Christian. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be depressed. You know, not often, sometimes, maybe more times than I should, I'll watch these guys on TV, these, you know, TV preachers. And of course, you know, being the humble non-judgmental, you know, guy that I am. I'm not critical of them in any way. Are you kidding me? I am scrutinizing everything they say, not just everything they say, how they say what they say. On this particular occasion, I'm, I'm watching this guy, and I mean, you would think that if you weren't victorious all the time, you're not even saved. 
I mean, the, the implication was, the inference was, that the Christian life is mountaintop to mountaintop. Um, <clears throat> you'll forgive me, but uh, man, I, I don't see that here. Especially with Elijah. He just comes off this mountaintop experience, and now he's in the valley of the shadow of death, wanting God to kill him? Pastor Chuck Smith once brought out something so insightful from the 23rd Psalm concerning the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. In order for there to be a shadow, there has to be a light. He is there with you in that valley, in that despair. And by the way, isn't it true that when you're in those valleys, those are the times that you draw the closest to God? Hey, when things are going well, right, we just kind of glide and abide. But boy, when adversity strikes, that changes the complexion of everything, and it changes our posture before the Lord. Well, let me read a couple of quotes here. He says, the greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. You may be in this condition simply because you are working too hard physically. It is possible that a man has been overworking, I do not care in what realm, whether natural or spiritual, and has been overtaxing his energy and his physical resources. If you go on working too hard or under strain, you are bound to suffer. And of course, if that is the cause of the trouble, the remedy you need is medical treatment. There is a striking example of this in the Old Testament. When Elijah had that attack of spiritual depression after his heroic effort on Mount Carmel, he sat down under a juniper tree and felt sorry for himself. But the real thing he needed was sleep and food. And God gave him both. He gave him food and rest before he gave him spiritual help. I want to share in closing two passages of Scripture that I hope will give you hope and encourage you as the Lord has used them to encourage me. The first one is Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. When hope is deferred, delayed, the heart grows weary. You lose heart. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. This last one is Isaiah 40. I know you're probably familiar with it. I want to read verses 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who, and here it is, (laughs) wait on the Lord. I wish it didn't say wait, because I hate to wait. But I have to wait. You know how we say, I can't wait? No, you have to wait. Yeah, but I hate to wait. Yeah, but you have to wait. (laughs) Am I arguing with myself? I probably am. I'm going to lose either way. Because those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Oh, Lord, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to renew my strength. Well, then you need to come to me, and you need to wait on me so I can. There's no shortcuts. Oh, how I wish, and God knows my heart. I wish I could stand before you today and say to you today that it comes another way. It does not. It's coming to the Lord and waiting on the Lord. That's when, that's how, that's the way that He will renew your strength. And then He says this, and I love this imagery, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. You ever seen the majesty of an eagle soaring? They're not flapping and striving their wings to fly. They just soar ever so majestically, seemingly effortlessly. That's the kind of strength that God wants to give us, to mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you're, you're at that place in your life where and you're just going through this really difficult time, and you're so weary, you're so discouraged, I really want to encourage you, don't give up. Yes, you're weary. Go to Him. Wait on Him, and you'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Galatians opens our eyes to the potential and sadly the reality of false teachers. They're clever, there's no doubt about it. They can work their way into any area, saying just what needs to be said to get by, and then leaving their trail of deception for us to follow. How do we avoid these false teachers? By knowing God's Word and staying firmly rooted in the love and truth He teaches us. We're so glad you joined us today on In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to meet you in person. We have an open invitation to join us for our weekly services here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We gather each Sunday and Thursday. You'll find more information at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Just click on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. 
would you like to hear more teachings from Pastor J.D.? You can find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. But we also have more convenient ways to keep up to date with these messages. Did you know you can take In Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we'd spend in the Bible slip into the back of the line of things to get done in a day. When you download our mobile app, however, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have for today's message. Join us next time to keep searching the scriptures for God's goodness in Galatians, right here on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old wind.